So good morning. Um, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, give you, I want to start asking a few questions. So as I do that, I want you to take a moment to review the week that you've just had, or even the last few weeks. And, and as you think about the things that you've been doing, the things that have occupied your time, I want you to ask the question, what is it that drives me? What is, what, what is it that drives us? What is it that motivates our actions, that influences our choices, the things we do, the things we don't do? What is it that really shapes our lives? For the Apostle Paul, he says in this text, it was to please God. But how did Paul manage to stay focused, to stay the course, even when things got tough, when people opposed him, when people criticized and undermined his leadership? Paul maintained a sense of urgency because he knew that one day he would, like all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And it's Paul's fear of the Lord that motivates him to persuade others with such passion. So then what do we mean by the fear of the Lord? Really we're talking about awe and reverence for who God is and who God is is a holy God. That's why we read in Job, that's why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. Isaiah said, woe to me. I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And Simon Peter, in Luke 5, verse 8, when he saw the great catch of fish, fell at his knees before Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And we read in Hebrews 12, verses 28 to 29, we worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We worship a God who is holy. But when we come before the judgment seat of Christ, this is a, a place of reckoning, Paul says, where we will give an account of our lives lived for Jesus. This is Actually, a place of reward and recognition to the faithful, a time of rejoicing as we glorify the Lord by giving our rewards back to him in worship and praise. The judgment seat of Christ that Paul refers to here, therefore, it's not a place of eternal judgment. Paul is speaking to believers. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the gracious work of Jesus on the cross, our sins will not be counted against us. Yes, God is holy. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is just. There is a penalty and a price for sin. But through the cross, that penalty and that price have been paid. Jesus has made a way for us to be friends with God. Paul's motivation in reverence to God was to live faithfully and share all that he had received from God so that he could look forward to that day, knowing that he had used every opportunity that had been entrusted to him to help people prepare to face God. And his confidence, we read in verse 12, was not in himself, he wasn't promoting himself. He wasn't motivated by the praise of others. He wasn't 
motivated or distracted by their criticism. His purpose was singular, to please God by persuading others to be reconciled to God, to accept the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So I think again about that question where we started, what is it that motivates me? And as I review and think back over this past week or the past weeks, how have I used those resources and the opportunities that God has entrusted to me? To what extent have I been moved, motivated by the fear of the Lord? But as we ponder those questions again, We need to understand that Paul's motivation was more than fear for the Lord. He was compelled, he says, controlled, constrained by the love of Christ. Verse 14. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. The love of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ where he died for us all, reconciling us to God and to one another. There is no greater expression of the love of Christ than that demonstrated on the cross. We know the verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We read in Romans 5, Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Compelled by the love of Christ, Paul's firm decision is to work from this focused center. And why is that so important. Why is it so critical for us to be compelled by the love of Christ in order to enjoy the more and the better life that God has offered us through Christ Jesus? I would suggest that because if we are merely controlled or motivated or bound by fear, we will never enjoy the spacious place where God has set our feet. To somehow miss the love of Christ is to confine our lives to the joyless, graceless, narrow existence where our focus and purpose as Christians is reduced to not sinning in the hope that somehow we might then please God. But this is the stuff of the Pharisees. This is the stuff that leads us to a helpless legalism. It's a cup half empty life instead of a cup overflowing abundant life. The resurrection life that Jesus offers to us all. The resurrection life, again in the message, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Now this is not, don't don't misunderstand, this is not going light on sin. Sin hurts. Sin hurts hurts us. We get hurt. We hurt other people. The cost of our sin is high. Jesus paid for that with his own life, but he paid for it in full. So I'm not saying, and Paul is not saying, 
that we should go on sinning. But not sinning is not the focus for the resurrection life. Certainly it's a fruit of that life lived before God, but it's not the focus of abundant life, the better life that God offers us through Jesus Christ. God's plans, God's purpose, God's project for us is far greater, far more than that. We read in verse 5, uh, sorry, in chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, the message translation puts it like this, in Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong, so that we could be put right with God. This is our sin imputed onto Christ. His righteousness imputed onto us. This is such a key verse. If you want to take a verse and memorize one this week, this would be a good one. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is good news. And if we don't grasp this, if we fail to comprehend this truth, then there is a danger that we too remain on that Damascus road, like Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, ultimately denying Christ and the sufficiency of his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. There's a TV series that um, you may have seen. Um, called The Office. And there are a number of different characters. Nobody ever does any work and numerous different characters within, uh, within the program. But there is one, there is one lady who is so uptight, joyless, complaining all of the time. Everything about her is restricted. You can see she, she's uptight. Everything is about the rules and, and, and the appearance. And sadly, she is cast in this series as the Christian representation within uh, the program. Somebody sent me recently a, a short quote from John Steinbeck's East of Eden, in which... Um, there's a description of the arrival of settlers to New England in the late 1800s. And he writes this, and, it, and this description is written as follows. He came about 30 years before the turn of the century and brought with him his tiny Irish wife, a tight, hard little woman, humorless as a chicken. She had a dour Presbyterian mind and a code of morals that pinned down and beat the brains out of nearly everything that was pleasant to do. That spirit is alive and well today. I was driving out of a mall uh, in another part of town and outside was a chap with a placard waving it in front of people's faces, terrorizing them pointing at their sin. This was his focus. This was his message, to declare war on every passerby. And yet through Christ, God has declared peace to the earth. 
So how is it possible that we can have turned such good news into something so hopeless, so burdensome and dull? Bonhoeffer writes that the community of saints is not an ideal community consisting of perfect and sinless men and women where there is no need of further repentance. No, it is a community which proves that it is worthy of the gospel of forgiveness by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness. The love of Christ compels us to do so. Paul knew the fear of the Lord. He was motivated to live his life to the max. He wrote, that's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. The message translation, verse 11. But far from bound to a graceless, narrow existence, Paul was so compelled by the love of Christ that he could live freely and boldly and confidently, even fearlessly, knowing that he was justified before God through faith and not by works. Romans 3, 28. And we know from 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4, 18 to 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. To contemplate and comprehend the love of Christ will turn our world upside down. The love of Christ, Paul says, makes us do crazy things. Paul was accused because of it. He says, if, I, if I'm doing crazy things, if I'm appearing mad, it's, it's for God. And if I'm serious for you, it, it's for you, for your benefit. I think... What are the crazy things that we've done for God so moved by the love of Christ? It was that love of Christ that God revealed to me when I first came to faith that ultimately I left my job, my career in teaching. I moved to another part of the world where I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anyone. There was no salary. There was, no pro there was nothing. In fact, I had, a, I had a text from somebody that I met in that first week when I moved to Brazil, an American guy who was living there at the time, who became a good friend to me, who was the guy that translated for me when I first arrived, when I rolled up at church and couldn't understand a word of what was going on. But more than that, he represented the promise that God had made to me. When I read through those words, when I weighed the cost of what it meant to follow him, to say yes to him, to do a crazy thing for him, compelled by his love. But God spoke to me through the words of Luke and said, no one who's ever left home or wife or brothers or sisters will fail to receive in this age and in the age to come. Many more. This friend became a brother and God's promise was true. And you know, through the years, I've met a lot of people who've done some really crazy stuff compelled by the love of Christ. I think of another guy that I met when I was in Brazil, uh, Brazil Danny. Danny was a, a widower in his 50s who came to faith late in uh, life and left uh, Wales and moved into a slum of 20,000 people in Belo Horizonte. 
And Danny set up uh, a primary care station for that community because no one else cared. And Danny, you know, what was his qualification? He didn't know, he didn't know the first thing about medicine. He had a book, and that's how he learned, but that's how he cared, and he loved, and he, ch he changed wounds, and he dressed um, in, and cleaned infections and loved these people, compelled by the love of Christ, preparing people in life and death to face God and live fearlessly for him. I think of Joe and Heidi and their story about the, the, the craziness of leaving here and all of their friends where the kids have been born and going to Fresno, California to start Neighborhood Church. And that response is, we love God too much to say no to this. You know, it's not always about going far because sometimes it, the crazy thing is the sticking and the staying and the working it through. For many of us, it is the staying when it would be so much easier to leave, to give up, to quit, to throw in the towel. For some of us, it's about speaking up. It's about speaking out. It's about defending the rights of others, about giving Christ the first and last word in our workplace, in our relationships, in our decision-making, in our career choices, in everything that we do. So I wonder again, as I reflect on Paul being compelled by the love of Christ and thinking back to these stories, do I have that same crazy abandon today? Is there something that holds me back? Do I need to check my focus to ensure that Jesus is indeed still rightly in the center? The love of Christ compels us. And the love of Christ transforms us. We read in verse 15, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Through the love of Christ, we are given new purpose. Who are we living for today? The love of Christ gives us, it transforms us, and it gives us a new vision, a new perspective. Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. As Paul comprehended the love of Christ when he met him on that Damascus road, the risen, resurrected Jesus, Paul's understanding was completely changed. He had to reinterpret everything that he had learned, everything that he had understood up until that point now and read it through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. To quote Bonhoeffer again, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled as to as we are. I remember that new vision, that sense of new perspective of seeing things differently. Again, when I, came, when I first came to faith in London, in England, 
and walking down streets that I'd walked down many times before, but seeing things differently, seeing people differently, relating to people in a different way, seeing them as loved by God, being brought to tears by people that I'd see on the street who were sleeping rough. God gives us a new vision and a new perspective that we don't regard one another from a worldly point of view. And also, the love of Christ transforms us and gives us a new identity, that we become a new creation. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Do you remember that sense of old self falling away? sense of guilt and shame being stripped away as God clothes us in his righteousness and says, you are my child whom I love and with you I am well pleased. All this from God, Paul says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We, I think Edith said this a few weeks ago, look at what we get to do. We get to do this, to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, the different Roman provinces at the time, some were uh, at peace, some were at war, some were rebelling and resisting Roman rule. But where that was the case, they would send ambassadors to where there was conflict and resistance to declare peace over the province. The world is at war. And as Christ's ambassadors, we're called to declare God's peace through the love of Christ. Because through the love of Christ, the enmity between God and man has been removed. God has declared peace with the world. That through Jesus, we can be reconciled to him. And through God's love, we get to work with him in his new creation, in this ministry of reconciliation. And, Paul says, the time is now. As God's co-workers, we urge you, not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Speaking from Isaiah 49. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't delay. And so I want to extend this morning an invitation and uh, an opportunity that we might all as a church take time this week today to pray for family, for friends, for colleagues, that, that they would be arrested by the love of Christ, that God would use us as ambassadors of peace. And if you'd like to, I'd like you to join with me on Monday evening at seven o'clock. We're going to have a Zoom uh, prayer meeting and we're going to pray to that end to, to bring the names of those who don't yet know Jesus 
before him, to pray for them, to pray for us and our witness, to, to find out how we can and explore together how we can create space for others and encourage conversations and discovery to listen, to learn, to ask, to serve, to love. Now is the time, Paul says, don't delay. Why would we delay? Why would we delay? Why And why is the time? I wonder if it's helpful. I mean, we're living in a time right now where the world is, we see it. We see the sickness of the world in which we live in. We are reminded of it every day, tragically, every day with the numbers of infections, the number of deaths through COVID. The world is sick. Millions of people have died and many more will continue to die. Now there is a vaccine, thankfully now, that is available. Let's say that it, was a, that it had 100% efficacy. It was completely guaranteed to heal you, to, to make you resistant, so that you would be immune to this sickness destroying your body and killing you. Let me ask you, if that vaccine, as it is, is available, would you say, I'm going to wait for another year, maybe another couple of years, it just doesn't feel like the right time now for me to take this vaccine. What about, like, what about six months then from now? You think, well, I'm just going to chance it, living in this infected world. I'm going to just chance it for a bit longer. Oh, what about a month? If that vaccine is there and that vaccine is available, wouldn't we take it now? The day of salvation, the time of God's favor, is now. And if you have not yet come to know Jesus or discovered the love of Christ, I want to encourage you to, to open your heart to that possibility right now. Why don't you explore that? Ask a friend to help you understand this that we're talking about. Contact the church. Find out how you can be a part of these conversations to explore more about this love of Christ and the difference that it makes. And for those of us who do believe, if we had the vaccine, if it was in our possession, if we have the means and the support to distribute and administer this vaccine to save lives, to bring hope, to bring healing, to stop the infection and the disease, wouldn't we administer it? Would we wait and tuck it away and wait until it's more convenient while we see people suffering around us? I pray that we might be so filled with God's love that we would dare, like Paul, to live fearlessly, boldly, with a purpose that is so much greater than ourselves, that we would love unconditionally, that we would give generously, that we would, of our, of our time, of our resources, that we would forgive freely as we have been forgiven, that we would speak up for the voiceless, that we would defend the rights of the oppressed, that we would rally against injustice. 
that we would persuade others for Christ. May the fear of God keep us vigilant, but may his love move us and have the first and last word in everything we do. Let's pray. I want to take a moment as we pray together now to to give us an opportunity to become friends with God. Because maybe for someone today, that friendship begins now. So let's pray together. And let's, as we pray, remember those who we love and pray for and bring them before the Lord in this prayer. May they comprehend your love, Lord Jesus. So Father, we pray now by your Spirit, would you fill our homes and our hearts? Would your Spirit fall on us again? right now come Holy Spirit reveal to us the love of Christ turn our hearts towards you Lord we pray would you forgive us for the things that we've done for the ways in which we have turned from you. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, we can be friends with you. We can be reconciled to you. Lord, we now turn from all of those things that take us away from your best. We confess them before you. Sorry, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, for taking our sin and dying on the cross in our place, for paying the price and the penalty and transferring onto us your righteousness. Holy Spirit, would you fill us now that we might live for you. So compelled by the love of Christ that we also would now in turn share this love with others. I want to pray also for those of us that want to know more of his love This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, fill us again with your spirit. We pray for more of you. Lord, we leak. We're broken vessels. But Lord, would your living water flow through us. We pray for more of you. May we, 
Lord, would you interrupt us again in our busy lives, in our muted lives, in whatever form or shape we find ourselves today, Lord, by your Spirit, would you interrupt us and reveal to us again your love. Call us to yourself. And Father, we pray that we might join in with your work, this ministry of reconciliation. Father, we pray for those opportunities that you provide for us each day throughout this week. Lord, we pray for those opportunities, for the overflow of your love in us to flow through us into the lives of those we meet and love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.